When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're your bi-weekly Star Trek podcast where we talk all things Star Trek, whether it's movies, video games, TV shows, comics, you name it. Also dive into a bit of Star Trek news. Uh, the past few sessions, we've been talking about all the different kind of starships for the Federation side. We kind of covered the bulk of the TV show. Uh, today, we're going to be diving into the Kelvin universe because the Kelvin obviously... Uh, also known as the Abramsverse and whatever else they, people want to call it, or the, uh, the the universe without Vulcan or something. I can't remember what, what how the other Vulcan name people have given it. Uh, but before we dive into that, we obviously want to take a couple minutes and talk about the Captain Pike show, probably the worst kept secret since you saw Anton Mount on TV a year ago. So Derek, why don't you take it away? Sure, yeah. Um, so what, one other name I, I used to call the Kelvin universe before it had a real name. Uh, was the JJ verse? I would call oh, JJ verse was good. Yeah, and I thought that was good. Um, but yeah, so this is this is big news. I, you say it's the worst kept secret. I agree with you on that. But I also was worried maybe I was just being hopeful the entire time, you know. And like, well, it's it's the worst kept secret, right? It's definitely going to happen. And maybe it, a part of me expected it not to. But yeah, so they officially announced that Anson Mount. His Captain Pike, Rebecca Remains, number one, or Una, and Ethan Peck's Spock will be returning in a brand new series called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, it will take place on the new version of the Enterprise that we saw in Discovery at the end of season one and, of course, through parts of season two. Um, and, and again, in uh, Short Treks, we saw uh, these characters as well as a turbo lift. <laughs> um, and so, you know it's for me it's really exciting i am super stoked about this i actually think the three of them are stellar casting um they've just gravitated towards the characters and the franchise so well and so quickly and um especially for ethan peck stepping into the spock role it has to be one of the harder things to do in star trek oh yeah easily right i mean you know quinto we were lucky enough that Quinto was able to step into the role and do such a phenomenal job. And so to have a third actor come in and do a phenomenal job, uh, we're very lucky. And Yeah, because the background with Pike and number one was so limited anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, the yeah. Kelvin universe had more Pike than the TV show did. <laughs> That's definitely true. And uh, I like that Pike a lot, actually. Um, but, you know, this, this is really exciting. And Rebecca Romaine, I mean, her task wasn't easy either since... No, we, we knew next to nothing about number one, aside from some beta canon stuff and some books, but she was portrayed by uh, Majel, and that's a big deal. And so a lot of, of Trekkies, you know, were very protective of anything that Majel ever did, um, and rightfully so, right? And Rebecca came in and just uh, did a stellar job. So um, I think for me, what kind of sealed it you know, like, yeah, these actors are great and the character versions are wonderful and maybe we would never see them again. But when I saw the bridge set and I saw how detailed it was and how high production value it was and how good the CGI model of the ship looked, I just thought there's no way that you have 
all three of these things, the cast, the set, and the ship design, so perfect, and then just walk away from it. Yeah, and the uniform design, and oh, even, yeah. the, even the actors and actresses they, they cast for minor roles for Star Trek Discovery, it, it does make sense, especially if Star Trek's on a bit of an upper curve right now on making content and taking chances. And with the announcement that they are looking to go a little bit more traditional Trek, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more episodic. And I know that's kind of dividing everybody because there's a very vocal minority that adored Discovery and uh, Picard. And I think there's a vocal group that didn't because it was so radically different than past Star Trek. And so now the discussion is, well, the fans just want to go back to what they always had. It's like, I don't know if it's necessarily that, but you and I have talked about before how, spoiler alert, is, you know, Discovery Season 2 had a big AI threat, and then Picard Season 1, big AI threat. And you're like, eh, maybe sometimes going back to what works is not always a bad thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that given Discovery and Picard and what I assume will also be the same kind of concept in Section 31, which is this more serialized storytelling, that having something more episodic isn't bad because it just gives us something different, right? It gives people options. If you don't like the serialized style, then here, here's something episodic for you. And if you prefer the episodic, well, then we're going to give you that. And um, if you like both, then great. You just have more Star Trek to watch. I'm in the camp that enjoys both kinds of storytelling, both episodic and serialized. And I think that Star Trek has done both very well over the years. Um, you know, you look at the latter half of DS9, you look at season three of Enterprise, and I think that Star Trek can handle serialized storytelling well. Um, but it, I don't know that it's required just because that's how m- most content is made these days. There's still a lot of, of televisions like, uh, procedural cop dramas and and things like that that are incredibly successful that are still very episodic. And Star Trek doesn't have to ignore that type of storytelling. Um, additionally, like while it will be episodic, it's not going to ignore character growth and character development. And neither did TNG or Voyager, for that matter, as, as episodic as those were. The characters still grew, you know? Um, and so here we will see these characters grow there will be an episodic story that week, right? And something may happen to a character that carries over into future episodes, but that part of the mission, that particular plot will relatively wrap up in an episode or two. And I think that that is exciting to see because there's this pressure nowadays to binge things, right? Because everything is, is serialized. Everything is. You know, the, the Marvel TV shows are serialized. The DC TV shows are serialized. Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, The Mandalorian is serialized. And there's this pressure that's, that makes at least me feel like I need to sit down and watch all of it straight through so I don't miss anything or forget anything. No, and, that's definitely the pressure for modern TV and maybe going, yeah, it's like, Going serialized was kind of a, a, a risk, and now someone in Star Trek world is going, look, let's 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 kind of do both both worlds at the same time. I think and it's important. Them, yeah, and it lets them know. And you know, CBS has been very close hold on you know numbers. How many people yeah. are streaming this? How many people are streaming that? Not necessarily just with Star Trek, but basically all of CBS All Access. Um, you know, Netflix. The moment a TV show comes out, five minutes later, they're like, oh, we got eighty-five million viewers. And, you know, you're all like, do you? <laughs> it's, it's like, did everybody start watching at the exact same time? Um, but CBS knows that Star Trek and even Star Wars, I actually saw Ray put something on Twitter earlier about uh, Finn from Star Wars, how the early promotional materials for Finn highly in- insinuated that he had some sort of Jedi Force use in the, sh- in the trilogy. Mm. And they just completely abandoned Finn's overall storyline pretty early on and they gave him some stuff but not really and then you're like oh ex-stormtrooper you know he's gonna he knows that they're all recruited as kids and blah 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 he's gonna want to help save other stormtroopers and like no he doesn't he wants to kill like every stormtrooper around him and so CBS is learning a lot I think from not just Star Trek but the reactions to 
Marvel movies and DC movies, and they're looking at all the content out there right now to try to come up with what the best they can do. Yeah, no, and I'm with you. And I, I think they've, they've made some positive decisions, you know, um, kind of going down that comparison route. We have CBS All Access, and it's going to be rebranded later this summer now that Viacom has uh, brought Paramount back into the picture. And that's fine. It'll, it'll bring in Paramount products, which, by the way, will include the films that Paramount produced that are not available on CBS All Access. Um, Star Trek will be under one roof again. And DC is all very convoluted, even though they, they are owned by the same company. You've got DC Universe, which is a streaming service that has some content. You have the CW and you have Fox and CBS. And then on top of that, you have HBO Max coming down. And they're all split up, but they have one parent company. At least with CBS, Star Trek was split up because the movies were owned by another company. You know, And they're merging these things very quickly. So they are, I think you're right, I think they are learning. And they're really trying to make the best possible decisions here. We have a lot coming down the pipe. And to see them look at the reactions that fans had to these three characters, to their style, their tone, uh, what people thought of the bridge and the uniforms and the ship design, to take that and say, okay, well, people really like that. Maybe we should just do it. I appreciate that. I think it's exciting that they want to make content that we're excited about. Um, I think the same thing happened with Section 31. People saw how much uh, fans like Giorgio, and they thought, well, how can we give her more screen time, right? So this is really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's a lot of story to tell. They have about a decade of time to play with before mm -hmm. Kirk comes into the picture. And if they want to, they could even spin off and follow Una because, at least in the books, you know, she becomes a captain and gets her own ship. And we know nothing really about any of that. None of that's canon. And so when it becomes time for Kirk to take over, you know, you could follow Una on her own ship, uh, doing her own thing, her own stories. Um, and this gives us a really cool opportunity to see what Starfleet was like with a budget. Whereas the original series just didn't have the money to do what Gene Roddenberry truly wanted to do. Well, and then, you know, even seeing Una with her own ship, it also gives Star Trek another opportunity for a female captain because that's what's always kind of annoyed me about Discovery is they keep teasing Michael Burnham, but then it's Lorca and then it's Pike and then it's kind of Saru, but it's not. <laughs> it's just so disjointed. You're like, all right, either, either give it to Saru or give it to Burnham or something, but stop with this whole... But I'm glad they brought on Anson Mount because now we get a Captain Pike show. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that he did a wonderful job. And, you know, it's, it's, it's to your point, though, about a woman captain, it's why I was really bummed out. Uh, I guess, you know, spoilers for season one of Discovery that, that Giorgio's removed from that situation so quickly because I was really excited to see Michelle in action because she is just awesome. And she's phenomenal. Yeah. And so, like, I'm glad that she's around, right, as a, as a different incarnation of that character. But I would have loved to have seen a show set on the Shenzhou, you know. Um, I think that would have been really cool. With Burnham, it's complicated, right? She's been kicked out of Starfleet. She was brought back. She's not really a first officer anymore. Saru is really the next in command if you're going to keep um, a Starfleet crew, you know, put together. Um, and I mean, there's some cool stuff there because we've never really had an alien captain as our lead captain, you know? So that's a cool opportunity. If, if you're not going to go uh, with Burnham, at least it's not uh, a standard white dude. And no offense to Anson Mount, you know, Pike's, Pike is a white dude though. So at least that that's, that's canonically correct. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a little different if they, if they randomly changed him, especially now that you already saw Anson Mount mm -hmm. and they just cast, you know, I don't know. Uh -huh. Scarlett Johansson as Captain <laughs> Pike, and you're like, what? <laughs> but it's I cool. Mean, it's, I'd watch it. It's a good opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it. I think what I've heard, the buzz that I've heard about, uh, and Akiva Goldsmith was saying that they want to harken back to the optimistic Star Trek, some of those classic Star Trek values, and I think setting it in this time period where the Enterprise is on a five-year mission, and it's specifically going to new worlds, has that opportunity to to do different things every episode without having to have an overarching you know massive plot that's galaxy ending and um i think that will be a, that's refreshing because i think that's the big problem with 
season two of Discovery and season one of Picard is that these are very like very galaxy ending problems and Star Trek doesn't have to be that every week that's the complaint about the movies the movies always had to be so big to to say well why wasn't this an episode right well now they're episodes so they don't have to be that intense all the time you know you look at the success of the Mandalorian on the opposite side and it's a pretty small scale story I mean there's a few episodes he just stays in the same planet but even just I mean, the, the, yeah. the number of people involved, you're talking about like maybe a hundred people, maybe, you know, I guess it depends how many, you know, troops you want to count. Right. But like, you're, you're talking about a very small group of people with a very small scope. Um, and that was incredibly successful. Star Trek doesn't have to, to go off the rails just because superhero stuff is getting bigger and bigger every time. Well, yeah, and I think even learning from the finale of Picard where, you know, the Zat Vaj were built up all season long to be like these evil super spies. But turns out they were right. <laughs> there is a horrible AI monster out there that wants to kill the galaxy. It, it, they're not wrong. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, so it's just like, huh. But this, they have a chance right now to really focus on true care. Because that's something that you and I were both criticizing Discovery for was they would introduce the character a little bit, but not really go into a lot of detail. You know, like Arium, it's, you know, we never got a whole lot of detail on her. Then one episode, oh, it's really super important because she gets a virus. And you're like, well, but we're not as invested in her because we don't know a lot about her, even with the few minute flashbacks we get. To be fair, that's a pretty classic Trek concept, though, right? Of having kind of a side character you don't know anything about all of a sudden be really important and then never again. Like Shelby? <laughs> I mean, it, it happens, you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's maybe a little bit more classic Trek than anything else. But um, is there anything else, though, that you heard or excited about for Strange New Worlds that you want to touch on? No, I think we did. I think we covered it, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. And I think they said fall 2021 is the goal, so they've got plenty of time. They're not rushing. Yeah, and and they shouldn't, right? They should make sure, like the the pilot's already written, um, and it's officially straight to order for um, what they consider to be a full order, which I I believe is 13 episodes, um, and so that's great. We uh, we did have a poll in our Facebook group, Red Shirts and Runabouts on Facebook, our group there uh, about the the theme. And it seems like people really would prefer a new, a fresh new theme. Uh, what about you? Where do you land on that? What kind of t series theme would you be looking for? Almost something. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care overall, but something along the lines of Voyager or DS9 that are still different, but they have that Star Trek feel to it. Mm. Um, you know, Enterprise, Faith of the Heart is just a living meme. <laughs> and... This Picard and Discovery themes are kind of hit or miss. Um, but I think Voyager theme is consistently regarded as one of the greatest. I love that one. Yeah, Yeah, me too. And they could do something along that line to really give the sense of exploration and wonder. Um, I mean, I, I think the whole intro could be very Voyager-esque because the journeys aren't all that dissimilar, right? Voyager is going through territory that we don't know. It's unexplored and seeing all of these new planets and the enterprise would be doing basically the same thing on purpose right uh, that's really the only difference and i think they could do something really similar with that i think that would be really cool to see well and they've got the time to do this right and i think some of the complaints about picard were some of the picard episodes felt a little rushed um it's starting you can start to see that now during rewatches like i saw a joke the other day um when they're on free cloud and Jean-Luc Picard, the most famous Frenchman in Starfleet, is masquerading as a Frenchman on Free Cloud. And you're like, oh, yeah, you don't really catch it the first time. But then on the rewatch, you're like, yeah, <laughs> he actually is. <laughs> um, this time, it looks like they're being a little bit more deliberate, almost. Um, but again, they're learning. It's, it's okay. Marvel's admitted many times they learned a lot from Winter Soldier's success. They didn't know Winter Soldier was going to be that big. It just won our poll on our screen, on our screen heroes of yeah, the top Marvel movie and the Marvel execs admitted, you know, we didn't know it was going to be that huge. Uh, they put all their eggs in Captain America's Civil War, and they're like, "It's Civil War didn't do as good." So it's it's hard to figure out what the populace of fans want when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy anymore. Well, I think Star Trek has the opportunity here to kind of try and cast a wide net. Mm -hmm. Right, you've got so many different 
projects in development. You know, you also have two two animated series that are in development. One specifically designed for kids on Nickelodeon. Um, and when you put that all together, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed for to find a person who can't like something that's yeah. going to be out, right? Okay, well, then I think this is a good spot for us to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the Kelvin Timeline's Starfleet Starships. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. And we are back. So we just wrapped up our Star Trek Strange New Worlds conversation. And it is now time to continue with part three of our Starfleet Starship designs. This episode is going to focus on the Kelvin timeline, which is the three films star trek 2009 star trek into darkness and star trek beyond uh commonly referred to as the abrams verse the jj verse uh the movie verse whatever whatever you want to refer to it as um we're going to focus on this whole one this this week just because it's kind of small we don't have a ton to really focus on we really only get to see uh four starfleet vessels really in any level of detail um and like I said, we're just focusing on Starfleet right now, so we're not going to be talking about uh, the Narada or the Klingon ships or anything like that, just Starfleet. So because there's only really four to talk about, unless I'm forgetting something, might as well do them in order, unless you think we should do them <laughs> a different way. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. There's a limited option. Um, and even reading about some of the designs, it's you know, if we're going in order, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the Enterprise because we saw it in the trailers or the Kelvin, the first one we saw in the film. Let's start Let's start with the Kelvin. It's really the first which, ship we're introduced to in this timeline. Which, which, when you read about it, it's apparently a survey vessel. A, a very well-armed survey vessel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, is this like, is this Starfleet getting around like some treaty somewhere? Oh, no, it's not a battleship. It's a survey vessel. It's like the the Germans after World War One, we're not building tanks; we're building tractors. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's a different yeah, time. <laughs> it has a lot. I mean, it does. It definitely seems to have a good set of phaser banks, um, but it's not like super well armed. You know, I think it really only survives the fight as long as it does because um, the Narada wants it to. So this is true. It was still still a great opening of that movie, though, with the Kelvin. I thought. Ah. Uh, yeah, to not to not go too off on a tangent, that opening is really fantastic. That whole bit taking place with the Kelvin and Chris Hemsworth, our Thor, mm -hmm. playing um, you know Kirk's father, um, is just awesome. He's he's so great, and I really think he would have done a wonderful job if he had gotten more time for that that rumored film with time travel where Kirk gets to meet his dad. Um, <laughs> But, I wonder if, uh, if if that actually happened. He goes back and meet him, and he's just he's just as big as he is in Thor. <laughs> and he, he's got the long hair and the beard, and Kirk's like, "Huh, this is hi, Dad." <laughs> Thought you'd look different, um, but yeah. So the ship design, right? Yeah. So it's actually a Kelvin class vessel officially. Um, not a huge ship. It's got about thirteen decks, give or take. It does have a large crew. Uh, about eight hundred people were on board the ship, uh, which you know, for that time period is kind of big. It kind of helps set the tone for why the ships in this timeline are just kind of off a little bit. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that more when we talk about the Enterprise. But I think the ship design is gorgeous. The idea of it having 
um, a secondary hull and kind of one warp nacelle uh, kind of gives it a, a, a familiar design that's still unique and something that we haven't really seen before. No, I agree. It's very sleek. Uh, it's got the Star Trek traditional Starfleet look while still being different enough to kind of stand out on its own. So it's not just a rehash of the Enterprise or the Excelsior, or excuse me, of the Constitution class or the Excelsior class or like the Miranda. It's its own distinct ship. And Starfleet ships, we've seen plenty of drawings throughout the years. They've always had this concept of like a one nacelle ship. And you've seen it as always like a scout class ship in some of the older books and such. Uh, but this is the first time we truly get to see it on screen. And I mean, they did a, like like we said, that was one hell of an opening mm -hmm. for a ship we've never seen before. And it gave its name to the to the universe, the Kelvin timeline. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's certainly significant. Um, there's some cool features to it, especially in, um, well, one part I like is the way the phasers are handled, that they kind of are like pop-up phasers. Um, yeah, that was kind of, I like that. That was neat. I think it's a cool way to show that the technology is not quite as far along or sophisticated as we're used to, um, you know, cause by, by TNG, we had, you basically had like these phaser beams and it was a very different kind of technology. So I kind of like that, that step back. Um, I will say the uniforms that they're wearing are super cool. I really oh, like yeah. these uniforms. Uh, again, it's kind of like a bridge almost between um, enterprise and TOS but obviously on, on a nice budget. Um, and, you know, other than that, it's a very classic design. The bridge is clearly a, a Star Trek style Fetter Starfleet bridge. You know, it's very familiar. Um, and I think that was really key here. This is being a new timeline and a reboot of the franchise and kind of starting from scratch. Coming in and saying, we want it to look familiar but also we want a new road opened up for us uh, stylistically. I think it's a hard line to walk and they definitely pull it off with the Kelvin. No question. Oh, absolutely. And even, even something as simple as the sound of the ship and just the overall interior, like you said, the interior look, the interior bridge, uh, the way they're moving through the hallway and the decks, it felt very, it was, I thought it felt very Starfleet. Yeah, it was Abrams with the, the lens flares now and then. Um, <laughs> whatever. That's, that's, a, that's a part of design, of film design. That's not the ship. <laughs> right. That would have happened regardless if the ship was a Starfleet ship or not. But the, you know, the, the sounds are a good point to bring up because it is it's so familiar. It harkens back to those TOS sounds, those pings and such. And it just, it brings you back. It immediately brings you back into that universe if you're an existing fan. Um, but at the same time, if, if you're new to this, it's just a good looking design. It's clearly futuristic. It doesn't look like it belongs in an atmosphere or on a planet. You know, it looks like something for space. Um, and when it's, when it's juxtaposed with the Narada, it's clearly the good guy ship, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it is clearly... <laughs> It is clearly the good guy's ship. And I think that that's important that, you know, because that whole idea for this was to bring in a new audience, whether that worked or not, beside the point, to be able to, to get some of that stuff just instinctively, like, oh, well, those are obviously the good guys and those are obviously the bad guys, um, is important. It's an important way to, to bring in that new audience without having a ton of exposition. Right. Yeah. You don't have to explain, well, who, what's Starfleet? What's the Federation? Who are these people? Like, you don't need any of that. Right, yeah, you, you um, and that's something you've heard me talk about on the show is there's a look, don't tell mm -hmm. when it comes to storytelling. And you look at that scene and within, for most people, within three to five seconds, you know kind of who you're supposed to be rooting for. And I think that that's a, that's a big deal. It's really important. Um, it gets us our, our first look, though, at, at, at this universe's designs as far as like what the hallways look like, what the shuttle bay looks like, because the Enterprise still bar borrows a lot of those design concepts. And it's a really different style. You know, you have like this giant shuttle bay hangar where the ships are set up and it really looks like scale wise. This is a big freaking ship. It, yeah, that and when we get to the talking about the Enterprise, that's a huge ship, too. Mm -hmm. it's they were not skimping when it came to you know especially we don't and that's the thing we don't know a lot of the construction of the ships in the kelvin universe like in, in next generation 
in DS9, they talk about, you know, Utopia Planitia quite a bit. And they even have some flashbacks to it and, and such. So you, you see the shipyards building ships in DS9. We don't, obviously, we don't get a lot of that in the Kelvin universe because we don't have a TV show. So they have to show us what the, only what's in the movies. Mm-hmm. So um, anything else then on the Kelvin? I, yeah, I like that. It, it fits the Starfleet. It still follows the Starfleet mantra of even if it is more of a survey ship or an exploration ship, it can still defend itself. It's still not. And you and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago, even with like the Oberth class. The Oberth class had modules where it could carry more phasers and still do its science job. It That's kind of Starfleet's, it's always been their thing where the ships can still explore, that can still defend themselves whenever they need to. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like part of their whole, some ships are better than the others at certain things, the Defiant and the Akira and such are really designed for warfare. But they can still go out and explore and deliver stuff and do science if they need to. They just may not be as good at it as, you know, Voyager or the Enterprise D. All right. So let's move on to the big fish, which of course is the USS Enterprise. Um, we get a first look at it while it's still under construction, literally in Iowa on the ground, which has always been a point of contention for some Trekkies. Um, at the end of the day, it's clearly a Constitution class ship, right? It has all of those marks of every doodle you've ever made in a notebook in middle school, right? You've got the saucer section, you've got the secondary hull, you've got the two warp nacelles at an angle. It's clearly the same style of ship. Um, but in this new universe, it's it's definitely an updated design. It's more um, kind of like a... Uh, Oh, what's that term for like classic futurism? You know, it, it looks like what a, a 50s futuristic car you know, design kind of concept. Okay, yeah, I get you, I get you. There's a term for it that I'm blanking on. But, you know, the nacelles are swooped a little bit different. They're not just straight cylinders. They, uh, they expand almost cone-like. The, um, the supports are even at, at more... Uh, sleek angles. It's designed to kind of be more of a sports car version of this design. What do you think? Do you like it? I like it. I mean, it's not my favorite of the Enterprises. Um, But I like it because it, again, look, don't tell. You look at it, you immediately know what you're looking at. You immediately understand what you're looking at. And again, it kind of reminds me of one of the discussions we just had about Discovery and Pike and such, and even a little bit with the Kelvin, is it kind of looks like it's following if they had the technology and the money in the 60s, what they kind of what they would have preferred to show. I actually think Discovery did it better with the Enterprise, with the Constitution class. Um, But this ship still looks, it follows the traditional Star Trek look, but it does, and again, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, it's kind of got that iPod feeling, that Apple production feeling. Mm. where it's so sleek and so smooth and all this stuff it's almost a little too perfect it is Um, super shiny especially when you get onto the bridge and there's there are a lot of jokes about just being an apple store and i do kind of understand that it does it certainly looks like they must clean the thing 20 times a day you know because it's just solid (laughs) white glass everywhere um and i feel like maybe that's a little over the top um I think the design's fine. Um, I think it looks good. It's clearly recognizable. I agree with you. I think I personally prefer the Discovery update to the Enterprise. I think that that's a little bit, it's a little bit more true to the original design, but while still allowing it to be updated for modern times, uh, where this one I just think takes the design and embellishes it a lot, uh, for better or for worse. And, And I think that's where it has a weakness, whereas... It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it does its job. It, does, it meets the muster. But it doesn't necessarily, I don't think it stands out like the Kelvin does. Um, I don't think it stands out the way the Enterprise does in Discovery. And, you know, the Starship in Picard was just kind of a... It wasn't, the Starship in Picard wasn't the story. The story wasn't about the ship they're flying on. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was good, but... You know, I always love the idea of that was being built in Riverside, Iowa. <laughs> like you built a starship on the ground. 
I'm like, a little yeah, unusual. That's it's still a weird concept. Like it made for a really great shot, you know, oh, yeah. with Kirk on the bike. But practically speaking, I mean, even you know, before the movie was made, NASA was already talking about how you know we really need to start building our ships in space. Well, and that's something that they want to do now because if they can build them in space, if they want to build them in space, then you you avoid the whole issue with the atmosphere and gravity. Yeah. So I mean, I, I still think that's definitely up for up for argument about whether or not that makes any sense in, in the Star Trek films, but um, <clears throat> it's a nice shot that they certainly were able to, to pull together from it. So at least there's that. Um, well that and they get the whole kirk from iowa shot so i mean i don't i don't mind that it's uh it's kind of part of that's part of star trek Mm -hmm. now the big kind of confusing part of this is this ship is massively large Uh, it is basically bigger than any any enterprise that we got prior to this except for the J that we see in the future uh, Enterprise yeah. episode. Other than the J, this is much, much larger than any other Enterprise. And that includes the Galaxy and Sovereign classes, um, which is a, a, a big deal. You know, the original Enterprise that Kirk had, you know, was only between two and 400 people, depending on, you know, which version of it in the refits. The Enterprise D gets you to a thousand people. So this ship, could easily hold a thousand or more people and oh, like yeah. we said the kelvin had 800 so that was already very large this is even bigger this the kelvin's estimated to have somewhere around 13 maybe 15 decks this enterprise has over 30 decks <laughs> yeah it is and they and again they don't go into a lot of detail and that's the that's one of the challenges with the kelvin universe we don't get you know with next generation the original series Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. We get all these tech books, all these manual books, all these ship books, kind of exp- explaining where the designs came from. We don't have that really for the Kelvin universe. We got some comics, we got some books, but none of it goes into the level of detail. Where you know, I got four books behind me somewhere where all about Starfleet ship construction from you know twenty two forty to twenty three seventy. We don't have that for the Kelvin universe. And there's a lot of inconsistencies about scaling, window size, trying to estimate how big something is. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Star Trek's gotten this wrong before, too. We talked about how the Enterprise-E, it was very confusing how many decks it actually had and where the Borg were in relation to some of these decks. Um, and so it's, it's certainly not something that Star Trek's been perfect with over the years. But this one was such a large departure um, and just seemed so extreme that it – it causes a bigger problem with the next ship that we're going to talk about uh, because of all of that. So before we move on, there's, there's still some other things worth discussing in here. The uh, engine room, I think is one that is very, very interesting. Um, The engine room in this enterprise is actually the St. Louis Budweiser plant. They actually filmed it in there. (laughs) They used a brewery (laughs) to film the engine room, which you know, the first time you see it, it's kind of cool, but then you're like, almost like on a second, third rewatch, you're like, man, that really does look like a brewery. <laughs> it certainly looks like a, like a current day factory and not, you know, a futuristic factory. And so it's interesting, right? Because something is, something is set, can be said about the older stuff where they had to physically build all of these sets. And maybe they were a little tiny, maybe they were a little confined, but at least they were designed specifically for that thing. You know, the way those warp cores were set up and stuff like that versus here, you know, like we don't even really know what the warp core truly looks like anymore Uh, because when they eject it, um, they end up with like a bunch of little cores that get ejected. And so like we're not even really quite sure what that all looks like inside the ship. Um, And a lot of that, I think, is attributed to them. I'm not going to say cutting corners, but deciding not to build an engine room from scratch and filming on location somewhere, because then you end up with those physical constraints of what the Budweiser plan is like. And at the end of the day, Budweiser's focus is creating beverages, um, not powering an, an, uh, an interstellar spaceship. 
Well, and you know, something about this enterprise, which I've, I've kind of jokingly referred to some, some of my other friends and such, it's almost like the cursed enterprise because it doesn't really win a single battle on its own in, the whole, in all the movies. It's like, yes, the Neuro- spoiler alert, if you haven't seen 2009 Star Trek, the Narada gets destroyed, but it's not because the Enterprise. Right. And the Enterprise doesn't win because of its own. In, uh, any three movies. In, in, yeah, any of the three movies. It never succeeds in combat, which is kind of almost the opposite of the Enterprise. We're used to knowing and loving and seeing. Well, you're right. And I think part of that has to do with some issues that I've had with those movies over the years, which is that everything is so extreme all the time. You know, the Narada is a future vessel and it's massive and it's got all these crazy Borg weapons and Borg enhanced capabilities. And then you have the vengeance, which we'll talk about next and why I have a lot of problems with that ship. Um, And then, you know, it's just a totally. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Different animal and, and beyond altogether. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's always on the losing side for that reason, but it's a, it's a pretty design. I think they did a good job. Um, I like the exterior plating look. I think it looks really clean, um, and reminds me of the refit enterprise a lot, you know, with those panels and everything. I think that that's a good look. I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you can replace those and you can remove them to do repair work, um, inside. And that just, that seems to make a lot more sense to me than, a completely flat design that was for obvious technical and, and um, budget constraints in the original show. Oh yeah, I agree. And that's, and again, that's where I give it a little somewhat of a pass because this isn't 1963, 64, 65. It's, mm-hmm. it's 2009, a good, a good significant budget, strong financial backing on top of the budget mm-hmm. and technical capabilities that were not even thought of in the sixties. I will say, yeah, yeah. I will say that um, my favorite, one of my favorite movie posters of all time, is from the 2009 film, and it's this ship uh, at warp speed, and it's basically just white and black, and it's like a shadow image of of it at warp, and that's one of my favorite posters ever. Um, so yeah, and they did, and that's the thing; they did a good job with the ship and promotional material. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one other point about scale on this ship is uh, the way like the sick bay is, is huge. And when you look at um, some of these sections where Uhura is working, when Kirk goes to find her um, uh, early on, she's like one of three dozen communication officers on this ship. Yeah, it's not just Uhura. <laughs> and I like that. I like that because practically speaking, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. You've got this massive starship with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on board, you have to monitor communications from dozens of your own ships, let alone other organizations and aliens and and just background radiation. Having one person responsible for that, even at a time and you know when you're working on ships, is just not realistic. And so yeah, you need even real life. You need backups for your employees. You need people to have. But if Uhura was sick, remember and that was one of the jokes from Undiscovered Countries. Uhura couldn't speak Klingon. And you're Don't like, man, either. you've been on the ship for 30 years. At, at that point, you're like, that doesn't really make sense. And she this Uhura can, you know, I can speak 18 languages, including Navajo. You're like, wow, okay. Interesting. She knows all, all the Romulan dialects. Yeah, all, all three dialects. So you're like, huh, I didn't even know there was three dialects. All right, so we're running tight on time. So let's move on to the ship that is probably my least favorite ship in all of Star Trek. Uh, which is the Vengeance from Star Trek Into Darkness. The Dreadnought class, which bothers me because uh, prior to this, they referred to the All Good Things Future Enterprise as a Dreadnought, but whatever. Um, so this ship is absolutely insanely freaking huge. It... Uh, that doesn't even describe it, really. I mean, this is... <laughs> it, it, that ship 
apparently could take on the Enterprise D a hundred years in the future and be fine the way it looks on this on this damn movie. Well, when you look at the scale, the Enterprise D is, slight, is slightly smaller even than mm-hmm. this Enterprise, right? This dreadnought is absolutely insanely massive. It starts to border on getting close to like Borg technology. Um, it requires one person to uh, to staff the ship at any given time. It has these incredible phaser cannons that just tear through the Enterprise. Um, and, you know, it's designed to look like a bad guy ship. It's all black instead of the prettier whiter colors that the other Starfleet vessels are. Um, it's got harder, rougher edges. It's not round. It's all like right corners and angles. And even the bridge, which funny now with, with Discovery, it's all dark, right? The Enterprise bridge is the Apple store. And this is like, you know a rave or something it's all dark everything's black and grays and you know blacked out mirrors um i really don't like anything about it (laughs) well i mean you bring up a good point that it looks like a ship a villain owns yeah and that's and you know one of the reasons of the many reasons why star trek 2 wrath of khan was so amazing is it's a miranda class and a constitution class and neither ship looks evil it's just one is under the control of an evil person and it's you know kirk you know even when kirk when they encounter the reliant they're like ah this is peculiar but they don't immediately think evil Mm -hmm. like you look at the vengeance and you're like okay wait a second (laughs) like this it almost looks like a ship a bond villain would be flying Mm -hmm. and again it's and this is something where marvel has understandably received legitimate criticism is when you start making things too powerful, it then transitions from the realm of science fiction, which has always been kind of Star Trek's thing, to science fantasy, which is more of the Star Wars thing. Mm. And that's kind of what the vengeance does. You're like, even the it even hurts the story of the movie where it's like, all right, they bring they bring out Khan to start designing weapons and stuff. They're like, so they save the super genius and his his big idea is, you know what? We're just going to build the biggest starship ever, and we're going to put 40 phaser cannons and 80 torpedo launchers on it. You're like, that was his idea. I think you and I could have come up with that. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just take the Enterprise and multiply times 10? <laughs> just, I, I, that's, and again, that's part of the problem with the story is you don't know all the thought that goes into it. It's just, you know, what? They, they brought me back from my savagery. I'm like, you built a ship? <laughs> that's, Starfleet yeah. always built ship. And, you know, I don't want to go down the road of, of hammering on the film itself too much because we I've reviewed it before on the show, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point in, in the future. Uh, but the ship itself is just, yeah, it's the bad guy ship, and everything's bigger, everything's better, everything's faster. Um, from a practicality standpoint, I just I don't buy into how it was built, and nobody knew about it and that we had the resources for it and nobody knew about it. I just don't believe any of that. It just doesn't work for me. Um, well, and, and the ship itself is so powerful that, and that's something that, again, so even the even from a story perspective overall of Star Trek, the Klingons in the original movies were almost prepared to go to war over the Genesis device, which was supposed to be super secret. Mm-hmm. And in this, you have this super... It's a dreadnought, but it's like a super dreadnought. It's like at some point, stuff like that only made, remains a secret for so long <laughs> when it's a gigantic ship. And where are you hiding it? Oh, one of the moons of Jupiter. And you're like, huh? It's like that's where you're just hiding it in the solar system. <laughs> it's just it's just hiding there. And yeah. I know space is big. I'm not saying that, but you know, in in the shows, whenever they're building something secret, they're hiding it in like a nebula, or or like the Badlands or a gas giant. This one's just nope. It's just in orbit to the largest planet of the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, even the Enterprise is able to scan like Kronos in the movie from across the neutral zone. So it's, it just begs the question. It, it, the, the ship creates more questions than it solves. And that, yeah. not even from a technical point of view, from a story point of view, that's just, that's not what you want. Yep, yep. I'm agree. I agree with you. I'm with you 100%. It's like the Super Star Destroyers in Star Wars. 
start, they don't even bother explaining him because they're like, this is the Empire and they built big ships. Just deal with it. <laughs> it's just That's fine. That's well, then, fine. They, then they have the Dreadnought in The Last, in the last Jedi. Oh, God. I, they have, yeah. And then they start. Just, <laughs> it's like the Empire and the First Order never learn. Let's just keep building them bigger. We'll just build bigger triangles in space and bigger spheres that have giant lasers. That's what we and, do. And each one will have a glaring weakness somewhere. Obviously. Well, it'll just always be some kind of hole, you know, that you can just drop a thing in and it blows up. Well, and again, Star Trek's not immune to that. Everybody, no, every, no, no. They always have threatened to they shoot the, the warp drive with the phaser. I'm like, why is this? Why can you even shoot this? Like, why is that allowed? Like, how is that possible? <laughs> Shouldn't these things be like phaser proof at this point? But yeah, that's the vengeance. It's just, it almost feels like a non Starfleet, like a non Star Trek ship in a Star Trek movie. Yep. Just it looks like a Starfleet ship almost with nacelles and such. But mega cannons, mega torpedoes, mega speed, mega shield. You're like, nah. All right. All right. All right. Well, we got one more ship to talk about. And this one, on the other hand, is one of my favorite Star Trek ship designs because I think it's wonderful. And that's the USS Franklin from Star Trek Beyond. Um, the Franklin is an older ship that they find in the film. Uh, so it's actually NX-326, it's a 20th, 22nd century Freedom-class vessel, um, which is a lot smaller. It's only three decks, um, you know, so I would estimate that the crew could only be maybe 30 to 50 people, kind of like the NX-01 Enterprise. Um, and it's a very simple design, right? You have a saucer section. Um, and tune the cells. So again, very similar to the NX Enterprise design, even smaller, um, if anything. It's only a Warp 4 ship, doesn't even have that, that Warp 5 engine, um, and pretty, pretty basic stuff. It's got phase cannons, it's got spatial torpedoes, and it can polarize the whole plating, right? So a lot borrowed from Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, and even... And again, where I was just kind of complaining about how the vengeance hurts the story, in this case, the, the Franklin helps the story because it ties in language and technology and feedback from the Enterprise show into the Kelvin universe. Mm -hmm. It looks like a Starfleet ship. It meets the, uh, it fits the bill of the early exploration ships right after the Earth Romulan War. And that's even included in some of the logs and the stories where some of the personnel were the former like Mako personnel. Oh yeah, that were like that were some of the soldiers that fought in the war that became Starfleet personnel. I mean that see that's neat. Where it's just sometimes simple is best is what I've always uh, one of the mantras I've always followed, especially with when it comes to Starfleet ships. Is you don't want to go too fancy. Like the Kelvin did it right, where okay they got little pop up phasers and that's cool, but that's really all they changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Constitution from uh, two thousand nine. All right, the, the engine room is a little weird, but the ship still looks like a Starfleet ship. And the Franklin follows the designs from the Enterprise show. And it's, that's, that's good. That's good story writing for what I think is arguably the best of the new movies, which was Star Trek Beyond. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just fits really well. You know, it, it, it borrows a lot, like you said. Um, and I think that that helps a great deal. Um, the interior is pretty chill. It's nothing really fancy either, um, which again falls in line with what you're saying, right? Sometimes less is more. And it is, it's, it's a simple interior. It's um, very similar to Enterprise because the ship, I mean, the ship was around during the NX-01 Enterprise. Like they were, they were from similar eras of design. And I appreciate that that was carried over. Um, it's very much, you know, designed almost like a submarine in space. You know, um, yeah. the, bri the bridge is very simple. It's smaller. It's toned down. It's a little more uh, basic. Um, it's not as bright and over the top. It's not as glitz and glamour, you know, because it was more utilitarian at the time. Well, and I'm reading a quote about it that Chris Pine actually said about the Franklin. Oh, okay. Uh, Every nook and cranny on the Franklin and the detail work is extraordinary. From the painting to the electronics, it's mind boggling. You know, stuff that maybe no one will see, but in the moment of acting in that in space, it's incalculable, the effect it has on me. It just adds to this world that we're creating, and it's super fun. I mean, that says a lot where, you know, you can't really find a lot of quotes on the Franklin, or the, the Franklin, the Vengeance. Mm -hmm. um, 
good designs for starships really can like it. That's what I'm a big fan of is that when they make the story just better. And that's something that Franklin does. And plus with the, with the story of the movie, it, it makes another level of interest. You're like, this is weird. And you know, even when Jayla's talking to Spagatti and he's like, well, where'd you find this ship of yours? And she's like, oh, it's not mine. This is yours. <laughs> and it just flashes a light over the Starfleet emblem, USS Franklin. You're like, oh, okay, now what? Yeah, it, it's it's certainly cool. And I appreciate that quote from Pine. I had never heard that before. But I can imagine, like, w- they talk about this a lot with superheroes. Like, putting on the suit the first time is really when you become that character. And I imagine in science fiction, the sets are a big part of that. Having the physical set, having those chairs and those computer consoles and those lights and, the, and, and all of that, the insignias, that helps sell the lie right because at the end of the day this is all fiction and being able to feel as if it's real can only help deliver those scenes right yeah and i think that's a problem that a lot of modern sci-fi has because it relies so much on green screens um, and cgi and sometimes it looks wonderful sometimes it doesn't sometimes it looks wonderful but the actors feel a little stale and that's because they were talking to nothing you know yeah um, one of the problems uh, Sir Ian McKellen had during the filming of the Hobbit trilogy was um, he's a stage actor most of his career. That's really where he um, made his, his career, stage acting uh, as a Shakespearean actor and such. And having he was basically the only person acting when he would act. He'd be on a green screen acting to tennis balls. And he had a really hard time with that. He really did. Whereas in The Lord of the Rings, there were more more people that were supposed to be his size and he was acting with more actors and a lot of it was forced perspective rather than green screen work so it was all real it was all physical um versus in the hobbit it's it's basically all cgi work and he had a really hard time with that um and i think that that's very telling well and it's the star trek pre- uh, star star trek the star wars prequels where so much was cgi yep. and you watch behind the scenes footage and you see just anakin with a whole bunch of green screen or obi-wan with a whole bunch of green screen and you can tell where some of the things are forced acting. But with the Franklin and some of the stuff, the, the sets they built, that Chris Pine quote where everything felt real and it added to what they were doing. I mean, I remember even when the movie came out because Star Trek Beyond was cursed because the trailers weren't very good and the public, the, um, the media outreach wasn't very good. But it was the best of the new movies. Yeah. And people were calling like, man, it'd be cool to see a show on the USS Franklin. Look at that. Look at that design. And, you know, spoiler alert, just elbow the captain, like make a show about him. Um, It'd be a very different show too. Cause you're, you know, as you said before, it's a Mako vessel. It's pre-Federation. It's pre-Enterprise, uh, the TV show. Um, and so it's a totally, it's basically, it is a military vessel. The Makos are a military unit, right? That would be the first Star Trek that's like legit military from a, yeah. a narrative perspective. Um, and I think that could have been really interesting. Um, you know, maybe there's still opportunity for stuff like that. Maybe not. I don't know. And really, those are the only ships we get in the Kelvin universe. I mean, we see the Yorktown station, but it's just a, a like, a, you know, a, one of those little globes in space. Yeah. Well, we weren't globe. really talking about space stations or anything. Yeah. We skipped over all of those. And yeah, well, was... we, we see chunks of ships when they're all destroyed by the Narada. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we see a very, very small glimpse of the Enterprise A, at the end of beyond um, it is still a constitution class there are some design changes it's a little more swooped and sleeked you know um, than the previous one but since we got so little of it we'll save that for another time i agree with you there's there's more to talk about with the kelvin universe and technology if we want to well is there anything else you want to cover this week no i don't think so i'm uh I think the movies did good by using advanced technology that they didn't have in the 60s and 80s with the movies. Um, like we both agree, they went overboard with the Vengeance. They kind of got it just right with the Kelvin and the Franklin and the Enterprise. Re- the Enterprise redesign is it's good, but not great. And I think that's not uncommon for a lot of the fans out there. All right. Well, then that's going to wrap us up. Uh, sorry, this episode was late this week, but you know, you do what you got to do. Um, 
I, of course, you can find me um, at the Star Trek dude out on Twitter. I also co-host other shows here on the Heroes Podcast Network. So you can find us at heroespodcast.com. Um, you can follow the show at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. Greg, how can people find you? Yeah, if people want to track me down, I am V underscore Bittersteel on Twitter as well. I'm also pretty active on the Red Shirts and Runabouts forum that we have on Facebook. Um, taking a little bit of a social media break, but I still check Twitter now and then a lot. So <laughs> now and then a lot. I still now check it now off. Now and then a lot. <laughs> there we go. Check it off then. Uh, yeah, our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash red shirts and runabouts. Please talk to us out there. We do polls. We're posting news. We're having conversations. It's a good time. Uh, so you can join us there. Otherwise, we'll be back in a couple of weeks because we do this every other week now. And we hope to talk to you then. See ya. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.